Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Now, just a little, a little bit of backstory. I, I realise as that verse is being read out that, um, I mean, that, that follows on from a story that, we, that Carl preached on last week. I just want to fill you in a little bit if you weren't here or if you don't know that story. Um, Peter and John are actually in front of these important people because they'd actually just done a miracle. They'd actually healed this guy who was about 40 years old and had never walked before. So it was a pretty big deal. In, in the passage before this, they, they healed this guy at the entrance to the temple and he went into the temple and he was just like on fire. He was walking, leaping, praising God. And all the people were amazed and they came around Peter and John and Peter basically says guys why are you staring at us like we've done something amazing this was through God's power this is through the power of Jesus Christ who died who, who you killed he basically says that who you killed him but he raised to life, he came back to life this is how this man was healed and all the people are actually amazed and they're really excited about that and they're confused but excited there's not actually any problem but then in this passage we hear about these uh, religious leaders and Sadducees coming and taking them away so that's kind of the backstory to where we um, got up tonight and we are we are actually in a series in Acts. We're um, uh, uh, sort of up to chapter four now. We've been walking through the first few chapters of Acts, looking at this enigma, this unstoppable force that was the early church and the the amazing things that God was doing in those those, um, times through very unamazing people and just the amazing things that he did through them. And there's so much to learn from this book. And in fact, since Rachel and I started coming to City Reach, one of the things that I've loved most about this church, um, and particularly about the sort of the young adults ministry that Carl runs, is that City Reach is passionate about equipping its members. Um, you know, we just saw two people become, officially become members of this church, which is awesome. And, and I love it that City Reach, we don't just treat Sundays as a place to gather and to sit, like I said, the cinema experience. We don't, just, we don't just gather, we don't just learn, but we actually um, seek to equip each other and build each other up. And I really, really love that about City Reach. And my hope tonight is that God equips us, that God encourages us in an area that is really challenging to deal with because none of us really like it when people take issue with us and take offense at us and get upset at us because of what we're saying about our faith or even the fact that we are Christians. None of us really look forward to those moments. They're pretty tricky. And so I really, really hope and pray that God encourages us and equips us tonight. And I feel like he wants, us, wants to use this Acts series to, um, to encourage us and strengthen our resolve and give us boldness so we can faithfully represent him in our everyday lives. Um, so tonight we're looking at, um, yep, we're on here, um, truths to hold on to when people take offense at your faith. Truths to hold on to when people take offense of your faith. Now, if you're here tonight and you don't consider Jesus to be your Lord, or you're sort of somewhere on that journey, but you're still trying to work, well, I mean, we're all still trying to work it out, but if you're sort of very early on that journey and you look at that and you think, whoa, that's, that's just, I'm not quite ready to be talking about that, that's okay. I just want to encourage you not to zone out tonight, um, unless it's really boring, then feel free to zone out, but I encourage you to, to, to really engage with tonight's topic, with, with your mind and with your heart, and meet Jesus head on in this. It's a challenging topic, but I encourage you to meet Jesus head on, because he's actually not afraid of that. He's not, not actually not afraid of you meeting him head on with these, with these really tr- tricky issues, bringing you questions, bringing you your concerns, bringing you frustrations. As Christians, we might struggle with those kind of questions, but God's not afraid of them. 
So bring those to him. Um, it's a pretty safe bet that at some point in your life, at some point in your life, you would have been upset or offended or hurt by something that a Christian or something that the church has said or done. There's a pretty good chance that that's happened. And there's also a pretty good chance that your offense that was caused to you may actually have been because that Christian or the church was inconsiderate or harsh or insensitive. There's actually quite a, that, that really does happen. Uh, I'll touch, touch more on that in a little bit. Um, but if that has been a stumbling block for you, if that, that hurt or that um, perceived prejudice or, or anything that's happened in the past has been a stumbling block for you and it's prevented you or it is preventing you from, from investigating Jesus a bit more, I just really, really want to encourage you and I want to challenge you Don't form your opinions about Jesus solely on your experience of his followers, okay? Don't don't form your opinions of of Jesus purely based on your experience of his followers Um, because if there's one thing that we're sure of as Christians is that Jesus is perfect, but we really are not perfect. Um, And so I'm going to touch a bit more on that shortly as well. Um, But here's the thing. Um, Sometimes in the Bible, Jesus or his followers upset people, all right? Happens quite a bit. There's often riots, there's just crazy things going on, there's people trying to arrest them, people trying to kill them, all these crazy things going on. Sometimes that, that, that sort of unrest and that, those problems were caused by something like some tangible problem that Jesus and his followers brought to the people. Like often it was like a loss of livelihood even. Like there's a couple of examples I thought of. One where um, uh, Jesus himself casts the, uh, this legion of demons from a person into a herd of pigs and these pigs rush off the cliff and they're drowned and all the people from the town come out and they're freaked out and they actually beg Jesus to leave them even though he'd just done this amazing thing, it freaked them out so much and obviously there was this loss of livelihood in the, in the pigs being um, killed and they, they begged Jesus to, to leave them. Uh, another time that I thought of was later on, Paul um, casts this demon out of this girl who was, who's a fortune-telling, kind of girl, uh, fortune-telling girl and her uh, sort of family or, or friends or, or whatever had been profiting from her fortune-telling and when they see that they're not going to get this um, profit anymore, they start a riot. So there's, there's, I could name other examples. There's various examples of people getting upset because there's actually something tangible that's happened to hurt them or affect them. And yet there's other stories like this one tonight where there's none of that. Literally all Peter and John have done is healed a man that's been crippled for 40 years and then they've said to everyone, it was in Jesus' name that we did this. That's all that's happened. And it's fascinating to see that even though the crowd were like, mixed between being, didn't know what to think and really, really excited and passionate about it, still you have these uh, religious leaders and Sadducees that come and get really upset at what they've done, so upset that they're even willing to arrest them. Now, in a, in a way, it's similar today. Christians today can upset people for a variety of different reasons. And sadly, one of the ways that Christians can upset people sometimes is just by being jerks. Right? Christians can be jerks sometimes. It's sad, but it's true. You know, I wish, I wish I could say that all Christians are friendly and considerate and selfless and, and want what's best for others. And we, we do strive for that, but unfortunately, it isn't, it isn't always true. We're not always easy to get along with. But the good news is the, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the gospel doesn't say that Christians are always wonderful people. It says that Jesus loves us and saved us even though we are not, we were not and are not wonderful people. 
Jesus didn't die for us because we are worthy. He died for us because he is worthy. So great was God's love for us that he gave his only son, Jesus, to die in our place and then raised him up again to take the punishment that was rightfully ours. The gospel is not about us being a good people. And so even though we've been saved, we still struggle with sin, we still make mistakes, we can, we can still say things sometimes that hurt people, it does happen. And the end result is that as Christians, we sometimes offend people because of our own foolishness or because of our own anger or because of our own lack of sensitivity. That can happen through individual conversations or it can happen through the church, the wider church and its impact in society. And when that happens, rather than dressing it up as being persecuted for our faith, we need to own that, we need to engage with that, we need to be humble, we need to ask forgiveness, we need to kneel before Jesus and turn back to him um, so that we can point to him even in those moments. So I just wanted to start by acknowledging all that. But one thing we learn from this story is that sometimes as Christians, even when we behave impeccably, even when we do really great things for someone, maybe even healing someone like Peter and John did, Sometimes people still get upset with us because Jesus' message is offensive. Jesus' message is offensive. Um, and that's, that's hard. It's hard for us to have to deal with that. It, the, 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 you know, we're not talking about faceless people that might take offense at us here. We're talking about our family. We're talking about our friends. We're talking about our colleagues. Inevitably, the Bible says in pretty much every chapter, every book rather, that as Christians, we will experience suffering, persecution. I know those are strong words, but, you know, we will, people will get upset at us. We will experience ridicule. We will experience rejection. It will happen. It's really, really hard. And so tonight I'm praying that God's Spirit strengthens us, that He gives us clarity, that He gives us boldness, and that He arms us with truth. That might seem like a weird sort of phrase, but it's really legit, that He will arm us with truth. That is a powerful thing to be armed with so that we can stand firm um, I'm just going to read the next bit of this story. So um, this is what Peter's just said. He's just said, There is salvation in no one else other than Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I'm going to pick it up from verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, we mu uh, you must judge for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And so in verse 9, it's kind of almost a bit ridiculous. Peter's questioning, he's, he's saying, are we being questioned because we've healed a crippled man? It's, it's kind of this ridiculous situation where they've done nothing wrong, but these... these uh, People of power, religious and social power, still have a massive issue with it. Um, it's a bit of a ridiculous situation, but that's what they find themselves in. 
So for the early church, Jesus was offensive for various reasons, but in this case, because he was, his, his message threatened the status of people who, who had status, people who uh, in social and, and, and religious circles had power, and Jesus' message was threatening that. And Jesus' message was offensive to the Romans because it potentially, his message uh, potentially threatened the Pax Romana, the peace, the peace of Rome. You know, the Romans were actually very happy for the Jewish people to worship their God. They were quite happy for them to do that as long as it, it didn't stir up any trouble and as long as no one was um, challenging the, the empire or the emperor. Why is Jesus' message threatening today? Offensive today, rather. That's a, a very complex question that um, I'm sure we'll explore um, during this series. Um, because people do take, did and do take a lot of offence um, to Jesus' name at times, but it's not what I'm mostly focusing on tonight. What I'm talking about tonight is the truths that we can arm ourselves with. The truths that we can arm ourselves with. Here's the first one. First one is that Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Now, if you've been following along with this series so far, that's been a theme so far. It's massive, it's massive, it's massive. If you, read, if you read Acts, the resurrection is not this sort of extra thing that's tacked onto the end of a focus on the cross. We don't just talk about the cross and the crucifixion of Jesus and the death of Jesus. Oh, and by the way, he came back to life. If you read the first few chapters of Acts, the resurrection is the focus. It is huge. It is the basis, it is the foundation for everything they do and everything they say. In, in verse 10, the crux of Peter's answer is, um, so I think we've got the verse here, um, by him, this man is standing. It is Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well, after being crippled for 40 years. One of the absolutely crucial takeaways from the story of the early church is that when you know that Jesus has, is alive, that Jesus has been raised, that changes everything that changes everything. He has already triumphed over evil. He has already triumphed over death. Those things are not just going to happen, they have happened. And that changes everything. And rejection or persecution or ridicule don't change that. And the entire good news of Jesus Christ hinges on this. Um, the thing was, there was actually lots of religious figures in Judea in those days. Like, um, I think Timo actually talked about this recently. This whole concept of being a religious figure that had lots of disciples, Jesus wasn't particularly special in that regard. There was heaps of, um, you know, quite a few sort of people that arose as, um, you know, as, as religious teachers that had a lot of people following them and a lot of disciples. Often there wasn't much trouble associated with that. Other times there's a lot of trouble and those religious figures ended up being um, executed. So Jesus wasn't particularly remarkable in that sense. Um, and, and everyone would have expected, when Jesus was, was killed, everyone would have expected, oh, yeah, that's, that's done. Um, hopefully we won't have any trouble with the disciples. They'll probably all scatter. The message will be, will be lost. And yet what we see is this remarkable transformation. We see a remarkable transformation, beyond remarkable. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts 2. Um, they're transformed from this small group of terrified people hiding in locked rooms. They're transformed to being suddenly proclaiming Jesus in other languages, in public. They're suddenly prepared to be arrested. They're prepared to um, be, be put on trial before the same people that put Jesus on trial. Suddenly, they're just transformed into this unstoppable force. And it wasn't just Jesus in a circle. We're not just talking about his 12 best mates. We're talking about hundreds and soon thousands of people 
And all of those people had either seen Jesus resurrected, like seen the resurrected Jesus, or they'd spoken personally to someone who had. Now, why is that significant to us, for us today? It's infinitely significant. I mean, it shows us that our entire faith in Jesus is not in vain, but it also shows who the boss is. It shows that Jesus is actually in authority, that if he's already defeated death and he's already defeated evil, even though death and evil are still present in our world, Jesus has already conquered those things. And for us, it means that we have been given his authority. You may know, if you've um, sort of yeah, been to church before, you may know this thing called the Great Commission. If you, if you don't know it, that's all right, it's up here. It's where Jesus, just before he went, after he'd been raised, just before he went back to heaven, he said these amazing words to, to, his, um, to his inner circle to, to, to commission them to go out and tell people about Jesus, to make disciples. Now, we call it the Great Commission because he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But I love the bit before that even more. I don't, I, I don't, I, I'd call this the Great Declaration. He says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That, that is the most striking part for me. All right? that, that, he, he says, just, just let the weight of that sink in. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, anyone can say that, but not anyone can rise from the dead and then say that. He's actually got that authority. Carl actually shared an um, analogy um, a few weeks ago. is footy analogy, which I listen to because I like footy. And, like, you know, you have these, these uh, 36 big, strong, muscly, fit guys on the field, and then you have these three, uh, very fit, admittedly, but often sort of skinny, weedy guys um, in fluoro shirts carrying whistles called umpires. Now, they cop abuse from 40,000 people in the stands, but let's leave that to the side for one moment. Um, what they do get is they get maybe not respect per se, but they have this authority that when they blow the whistle, everyone stops. And these big, strong, intimidating guys have to stop and listen and do what that person says because they have been given authority. It's not because the umpire himself is impressive or herself is impressive. It's because they have been given authority. Now, I'm not saying that as Christians we get to boss everyone around. That's not the kind of authority I'm talking about. But it does mean that we have the authority from King Jesus as we go about representing him on this earth and spreading his good news, we have the authority to do that. Peter and John had, had personally seen Jesus beat death. They'd seen him resurrected and they'd personally been you know, blessed by Jesus. They'd been given his authority to go out and spread the good news and we have been given that same authority. I just want to highlight um, possibly the most Remarkable thing that Peter says in his little, little spiel to the council. Peter and John answer them. Sorry, it's John as well. We should give him some credit. They said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now, they'd seen Jesus defeat death and rise again, and that, that truth was enough for them to be willing to face death which is what they were facing in this situation. In fact, I've got another verse up there. It reminds me of from the triumphal entry when Jesus was entering Jerusalem and everyone was celebrating him because this was just before everyone had turned against him and wanted him to be killed. They were celebrating his, his entrance into Jerusalem and they were, they were cheering and, and, and celebrating his disciples especially. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Because the thing is, whether the world likes it or not, 
Jesus is king and he is Lord. Whether we proclaim it or not, Jesus is king and he is Lord. And he has already conquered sin and death. We stand in that authority and all of that authority comes from the fact that he has risen and he has already defeated sin and death. I can't stress that enough. And even when the world takes offense to this message, we still stand in his authority, even if other people don't see it. So when we know that he's alive, it changes everything. And I just, that, you know, it's, it's so easy to be like, yep, all right, Jesus is alive, we know that, we celebrate Easter once a year, but that is, that is such a weapon. Not a weapon to hurt, it's a weapon to protect us, it's a weapon to arm us. It's a weapon that we can take into our lives and hold on to, we can hold on to that truth even when things, don't, even when things are challenging, even when things are hard, even when people do take offense, it is a truth we can hold on to. Here's the second one, I think. There we go. The second truth is that in these times when people take offense at us and we do endure suffering and persecution, the spirit takes hold. Now, Jesus had told his disciples a bit earlier, he said, um, uh, what did he say? He, said, don't, he basically said, don't, don't go telling people about me until you've been clothed with power from on high, were his words. Now, I find that really remarkable that um, the disciples actually became more bold when Jesus had left and the Holy Spirit had come, they were more bold then than when Jesus was actually with them. Now, that, I'm not trying to understate or play down how important Jesus was here, but it, it, it doesn't minimize the significance of Jesus, but rather it, it shows that the Holy Spirit is God's chosen means for being with his church and equipping his church. That's how God decided to do it. He didn't decide to leave Jesus here with us for the next 2,000 years. He decided that it was better for the Spirit to come. So we had Jesus, Emmanuel, which is God with us, and now instead of merely having God with us, we have God in us. And, and one thing we can learn from Scripture, from the Bible, and for also from the experiences of Christians for the last 2,000 years who have suffered for their faith, socially, physically, even to the point of torture and death, we can learn from their experiences and from Scripture that Jesus is incredibly close with us, like one with us. He is one with us in, in a particularly special way when we are suffering for him. In fact, he carries us. You know, Jesus identifies so intimately with those who are suffering for him that I love the story of, of um, Paul, Saul, Paul, his um, uh, conversion on the Damascus Road. He's walking along, literally on a journey to throw Christians in jail and potentially kill them. And Jesus himself, the resurrected Jesus, appeals to him in person. And he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Those are his words. He says to Saul, he says, why are you persecuting me? He identified so closely with those Christians that were suffering in his name that he felt that himself. And you have stories of martyrs over the years. We're talking a thousand years ago and also, you know, in the last century, martyrs who have gone to their deaths, literally gone to their deaths for Jesus with joy. And that's not because they're stronger than you or stronger than me. It's because the Spirit was with them in such an incredibly intimate way that the Spirit carried them in those moments. And, you know, many of you are aware of um, Peter's transformation leading up to this story. And it mentions in, in this passage that um, Annas, was the, the high priest, and, and Caiaphas and his family was there 
for the record, Caiaphas was actually the high priest, Annas was the formal one, but it was like an honorary title. But more importantly, just a few weeks before that, Timon's laughing because he shared the same thing. He's like the one person here that actually cares about that. Thanks, Timon. <laughs> more importantly, though, just weeks, weeks earlier, Jesus had, not Jesus, Peter had been in the courtyard of Caiaphas, that same dude's courtyard, as Jesus was being questioned and was about to be sentenced to death, or handed over to be sentenced to death, and Peter, even when he was asked if he was with Jesus, was like, nah, and denied it three times. Just if he was asked if he was with Jesus. That was a few weeks ago. And suddenly, he's standing in front of that guy and his whole family and all the religious leaders, fully aware that he could be about to follow Jesus into that same horrendous death, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit in such a way that he can preach boldly and truthfully and without fear of what's going to happen. That is not because Peter's awesome, it's because of the Spirit within him. And don't, don't be fooled by the peaceful ending to this story. All right? they, they knew the stakes here, they knew what could happen. And yet they stood firm. Third and final truth to hold on to tonight is we do not fight the battle alone. I've already talked about that in terms of the spirit. Now I'm talking in terms of this, the, the way that we face the battle in community. Now, I'm a terrible solo Christian. I think I shared this with my old church, that I am terrible, terrible at walking with God by myself. I, I genuinely mean that. My prayer life, my, the way that I seek after God or don't seek after God, my resistance to temptation, my, my boldness, it, just everything is terrible when I'm trying to walk the journey by myself. And there's times throughout my, my Christian life that I've slipped in and out of that. It doesn't work. I wonder if you've, I wonder if you've tried it. It, it hasn't gone well for me. It, it doesn't go well for me. Um, I, yeah, I love sport. I love, I love, love footy, especially AFL. Aussie rules is my, my number one sort of passion. But I actually really enjoy soccer these days. And up until um, sort of seven or eight years ago, I thought soccer was the most boring game on the face of the earth, didn't want anything to do with it. And then my older brother, who is an Arsenal fan, he said, hey, you've got to get into the English Premier League. Pick your team. He, he's like, gave me a list of all the teams. He's like, pick one of these. And I picked um, Fulham which is a very unglamorous choice if any of you are playing on at home. But I picked Fulham. I was like, all right, I don't want to go for one of the big money teams. I want to go for one of the, you know, the little guys. They were, they were a decent team at this, at this point, not so much anymore. Um, but what happened, and, and some of you will not want to, some of you, if you're passionate soccer fans, will completely lose all respect for me after this. What happened was, someone's a soccer fan, they've cut off my mic. That's right. <laughs> I think we're back. Um, I accidentally became an Arsenal fan over the next couple of years, all right? So what happened was, I, I was following Fulham and I followed Fulham for about a year or two and I was watching some of their matches and it was kind of vaguely interesting. And then I kind of realised that I liked the way Arsenal went about things and I kind of, you know, was hoping that they'd be the better team out of the good ones. But then what happened was, my brother who's an Arsenal fan and also my colleague who's a good mate of mine, he's also an Arsenal fan, we started, you know, talking about it and talking about the Premier League and suddenly I cared so much more about Arsenal than I did about Fulham. And these days, I don't follow Fulham at all. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a really pretty passionate Arsenal fan. And the reason for that is that I get so much, um, like, we, I, we just thrive off talking about it together. Like, I actually enjoy the, the, the relationship building that I get with my brother and that I get with my colleague even more than I do actually watching the games. Now, this is kind of a bit, bit of a weak analogy, but it's still, the point still stands that we have been created and wired to thrive in community. 
that not just, not just sort of coexisting together, but actually really being on board with something together, e- even if that's nothing to do with God, we're still wired as humans in that way that that strengthens us and brings us together and builds us up. And so in the Bible and in, 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 in church history, you do have these stories where you have one Christian who's, who's very influential and he gets put in prison, he or she gets put in prison, solitary confinement, and they have to suffer for, for weeks or months or years completely cut off from, uh, from community, completely alone, except, of course, for God's spirit and angels that will often come and strengthen them. But those stories of, of, of enduring suffering alone with no Christian community around, those are not the norm. Those are, those are rare. Um, they're amazing, but they're rare. And they're not the norm. The norm is, we, as, as Carl said before, we experience wins together, we suffer together, we share together. You can't possibly, you can't possibly read the book of Acts properly and come out of it with this idea that um, to be a disciple of Jesus is primarily an individual journey. If that's what you read when you read the book of Acts, take your cultural lenses off, read it again. It's not what it's about. And so we talk, when we talk about having boldness in our faith and we talk about standing firm when people take offense at us, first and foremost, that happens through the lens of community. The call, you know, the the call to spread the good news is not some call to be a bold, like, Christian Rambo. You're not, you're not called to be this amazing, bold, strong, courageous individual. That's not what it's about. You're called to be part of a bold and faithful family. And that is so encouraging. That is so encouraging. And even when you do have tough individual conversations in your life, because that'll happen, obviously, you know, your real life group, your church, your community, your, 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 friend, your Christian friends, they ride those waves with you. you know, I, love, I love it in my real life group. If you're not in one, I really encourage you to, to, to get into one because I'll be honest, I grow more on Wednesday nights than I do on Sundays because that, that time is really where you grow together and you build each other up. I really encourage you to get into one. I love it when we're in real life group and we're just sharing about, not, not like amazing stories of all the people we've converted, but just the conversations we've had with friends that we care about and that we want to come to know Jesus. And I've got people in my life that I'm really scared of talking to about Jesus, but when I talk to, to my real life group about it, I have more passion to do it because they build me up. So as I sort of draw to a close this evening, I want to go back to something I mentioned before, and that was to those of you who um, don't, have Jesus, don't consider Jesus to be your Lord or you're still kind of early on in that journey or you're, you're not quite sure where you're at and you're still trying to sound things out a little bit. Like I said before, please don't, please don't form your opinions of Jesus purely based on your experience of his followers because we apologize for the times that we've fallen short, that we've offended um, not because Jesus is offensive, but just because of our own shortcomings. We apologize for the times that will inevitably happen in the future. But we do not apologize for proclaiming the love of God. We do not apologize for proclaiming the authority and the lordship of Jesus. Because as Jesus, mate Peter said, we can't not tell about him. We can't not tell about him. If we didn't, the stones would cry out. In fact, we, we do apologize and we have to constantly come before God and repent and we apologize to you as well that we're not more open and bold about it because we have the greatest piece of news in the history of the world. We have the greatest gift in the history of the world that has been given to us with the charge of spreading it and giving it to others. 
the news that Jesus died in our place, not because of anything good in here, but because of his goodness and his love, that he has conquered sin and death, and that he wants to have a relationship with us. Um, I'll, call, I'll call the band back up just as I, as I finish off. Um, I hope... I hope you've been encouraged by these truths tonight that we read about in this passage. Um, truths that Peter and John and the early believers clung onto for dear life and literally clung onto for dear life often. Um, you know, as Christians, we live, we walk, we talk with God in us, with God in us. And we go out into the world with the authority that is given to us by a resurrected king who has already defeated sin and already defeated death. Because even though we forget it sometimes, and I, I have to preach this to myself, Jesus' resurrection is just as world-shattering today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's just as much a big deal today as it was 2,000 years ago. God's Spirit, this is one I really struggle with, God's Spirit is just as powerful today as he was 2,000 years ago. Circumstances are different, but God's Spirit is just as powerful. And God still cares about his church just as much as he did 2,000 years ago. And we should take a lot of comfort from that. We should take a lot of boldness from that. We should take encouragement from that. Um, even when we do face rejection, we face ridicule, we face trouble. Those truths do not change. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we just, when we contemplate what you've given us, it's, we don't know what to say. The fact that you didn't just die for us, but you died for us and rose again and equipped us so that we can spread your word and that we can persevere to the day that you return and make all things new. And we just come before you and we confess that we fail and fall short so often and we will continue to fail and fall short, but we turn back to you and we turn back to these truths that we can hold on to, that you may strengthen us in that way that we may truly be your people in this world. Amen.